0: Session with Dr. Farid Hulaqui.
1: Good evening and welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Farid Hulakwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310 I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call on with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics for the program. And the shows are uploaded at end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes. Again, our studio number, three one zero four four one zero five five five. Before I begin with the summary for the book of the week from this past week, I'll announce the book of the week for this week. It is The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. The Body Keeps the Score, Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma. And I'd heard a lot about this book um, talking about trauma and how even sometimes when we can't remember the trauma or we think it's not affecting us, our body still keeps the score as the title implies, even our brain can or the way we respond to things um, can show that we've been affected by the trauma. And I'd heard a lot about this book and I got to start it today and look forward to reading it and sharing it with you on next Monday's show. But let's get to the book of the week for this week. It is Grit by Angela Duckworth, The Power of Passion and Perseverance. And this was also another book I'd heard a lot about or seen it talked about in other books um, this concept of grit and how uh, we might think of talent as being the most important thing when it comes to being successful in a particular field. But really, what we find and what she has found, in other people who have studied successful people and what differentiates people who do well from those who do not, it's that that natural ability and that talent actually does not take you very far. Really, it's the hard work that makes a difference. And she uh, came up with this term, or she didn't come up with it, but she describes grit as passion and perseverance based on the interviews that she's conducted. And um, she's even come up with a grit scale where you can measure how much grit you have. And in this book, she talks about what grit is, but also how you can develop it. Because thankfully, unlike natural inborn talent, Uh, Grit is something you can develop, so it's not that you have the amount of grit that you have once you're born and it can't change. It's something you can work on to improve, and she talks about that in the book. Now, to begin with this idea of talent, we're very often um, distracted by it. I think that's one of the titles of the chapters in the book, Distracted by Talent. And most people actually, if you ask them, they'll say hard work is more important than talent, about Two-thirds of people will say that. So a lot of times we outwardly recognize that. However, they've done some research, and what they found is that even though people will declare that they prefer talent, or sorry, they prefer hard work over talent, when they, for example, are asked to judge a musical performance, even people who are experts in the field of music, they'll judge the musician who is the more naturally talented one as Performing better than the one that's the hardworking one, even if it's the same piece, showing that actually, even though we think we might think we prefer hard work, when it comes down to it, we actually can prefer the natural, the talented one. We think that's more important. And in the book, she actually shared a quote from Nietzsche or some ideas from Nietzsche that I thought were really interesting about how we prefer this idea of the natural genius or talented ones who are just born with the skills and the ability. And Nietzsche says that our vanity, our self-love, promotes the cult of genius. For if we think of genius as something magical, we are not obliged to compare ourselves and find ourselves lacking. To call someone divine means here there is no need to compete. And I really thought that was interesting Uh, way of looking at this because that is I think one reason why we prefer thinking of people as just naturally talented because if someone is just naturally gifted then we don't have to work hard to try to achieve what they're achieving we think well that's just what they were born with and so in this way we let ourselves off the hook we just think I don't I wasn't born with it they were just naturally gifted in that way but we don't see the years and the hours of practice and hard work that went into developing that skill or that ability that we now see and I've mentioned this before even when it comes to sports something that I really like and love to watch that I think people sometimes can watch these athletes and think oh they're so just gifted naturally gifted but we don't see the hours of hard work of training, working out, studying film and getting better at what they do that they put into then performing under the bright lights. We see them shining but don't we don't see the hard work that goes into becoming what we see in that last performance. Just like if you see a musician and we might think he or she is a virtuoso but it takes hours and hours of practice for them to perfect their art and their abilities and to become what we then get to see. And so we have to make sure we don't buy into this idea that it's about talent, but really recognize it's more about hard work. Uh, This idea of grit that she talks about in this book is a combination of passion and perseverance. So um, the perseverance is being resilient and hardworking, and the passion is that people that have grit, they know in a very deep way what they want, that they want to get better at something, to become good at what they do. And so we want to focus on what we can do. And in general, that's what we always want to realize is the amount of talent you were born with, well, you can't change that, obviously, but what you do with that talent, that is in your control. And it's very easy just to think, well, uh, you know, I could look at someone who's very in shape and think, yeah, but they were born with a different body type and a different way of, of maybe even metabolism and ways of building muscle, so I maybe can never look that way. And it is maybe possible that there's someone who is just born different that you cannot achieve that high level. But if you really ask yourself, have I made the best of what I've been given, almost always the answer is going to be no. So it's very easy to look at someone and just think, well, they're that way because they were lucky or they were born that way, which first of all is not true. But secondly, we take ourselves off the hook and don't realize, well, I can work a lot harder to become the best I can be in whatever domain it might be. It's not just luck. And very often people use this, this idea that people are born lucky and born talented, uh, but they miss the fact that that person isn't lucky. They've worked very hard to achieve what they've achieved. It's not just luck that they're so good at it now. You've missed the hours and hours of practice, of hard work, of pushing themselves when it was difficult, of struggling through things to keep growing that that person has gone through. And we don't want to lose sight of that because that's missing uh, the bigger picture of what's going on. And she shares lots of stories throughout the book of paragons of grit, as she puts it, or people who've been very gritty, had this combination of passion and perseverance to overcome challenges and become good and successful at what they did. And she shared uh, the story of Katie Ledecky, who's a very successful swimmer, Olympic swimmer. And to show this example of how we have to embrace challenges, she shares a story of when she was six years old in, in one of her first races. She finishes the race and her dad's filming her get out of the pool and she was really struggling. She can only do a few strokes at a time and then she grabs onto the lane line. She does a few more strokes and then keeps going and It's very challenging for her, clearly. But she finishes the race, and then when she comes out, her dad is videotaping, and he asks her, how was it? And she says, great. And a few seconds later, she adds, that was hard, with a huge smile on her face. And that part really struck me, this attitude of, that was hard, but being excited about it, being happy about it, being um, motivated to do more. And very often when we think of something as being hard, we think that means, well, it's not good, or we shouldn't do it, or we should do things that are not hard because it doesn't feel good. But we know that the only way we grow and we get better at anything is by doing things that are challenging for us. There has to be some level of challenge or else you'll never get better at whatever it is that you're doing. And so often we think of hard work as something we do for other people. And that's unfortunately what you see in society, both in school and in academics, where kids are told to work hard to get a good grade to make their teacher happy or make their parents happy. Um, Or in life, where people feel like they work to make money for someone else. And so their hard work doesn't feel that it benefits them. And we often pass this on to our kids thinking that hard work is not good. So if we can let them off the hook of working hard, that's a good thing. They shouldn't have to work hard. I want them to relax and enjoy life. But we don't realize that actually working hard is one of the most enjoyable things in life. Working hard in something that you have passion for, something that you enjoy, getting to see yourself improve, that's actually one of the biggest joys we can have in life when we're doing it for the right reasons. And so when we look at this idea of practice, Sometimes people will say, well, I've been running my whole life, or I've been doing something my whole life, and I haven't gotten better. And that's because not all practice is created equal. There's something that has been termed deliberate practice, which might not seem that different to some people, but it shows that it's not just about if you practice, it's also how you practice that's very important. Sometimes people who become experts in a field, they do put lots of hours, but sometimes it might not be as extreme as you might think. And so she outlines some of the components of um, deliberate practice, and those are things like having a clearly defined stretch goal, so something you're trying to improve on that's very clearly defined. So if you're a swimmer, for example, you want to take two seconds off of your lap time by a certain date. Um, Then we have full concentration and effort. You're very focused on what you're doing. So she herself shares a story of how she runs, a couple times a week, or she runs often, but doesn't really get much better. And the coach asked her, some coach asked her about, is she focused on it? She's like, no, I'm listening to a podcast or I'm listening to music. She's not really focused on what she's doing. So it takes full concentration and effort. And also very importantly, immediate and informative feedback, meaning you have some kind of coach or trainer or someone who is going to come and give you feedback. Of course, there'll be the positive, but also definitely what you can improve on so most of the times we don't look for that feedback to improve. And if you keep doing things the same way, or if you don't have anyone pointing out to you what you could do better, you're not going to get better at whatever it is you're doing. And then also repetition with reflection and refinement. So you keep doing the same things, but you're looking at how you can improve and get better, um, making those things a habit, the things you're trying to do. And that's what we see in anyone who's really successful in a particular field is they've put this kind of deliberate practice They're getting feedback. They're getting, uh, they're working hard at it. They're concentrated. They're committed to it. They have goals that they keep working towards. Without that, you're not going to get better, even if you put hours and hours into what you're doing. So it's not just about if you practice, it's how you practice. And you want to make sure you do what they call deliberate practice. Another interesting chapter was on parenting for grit. So, how as parents, Can you help your children become more gritty to develop this quality of grit? And sometimes there's what can seem like two schools of thought on this. Should you be the super strict parents who are so demanding and who are constantly pushing your kids and not caring if they say they don't want to do something and you make them do it anyway? Or are you going to be the loving, supportive parents who are in what might come off as too permissive not pushing your kids. And what they find is that authoritative parenting, which sometimes has a bad word, and she calls it wise parenting because authoritative and authoritarian can sound so similar, but they're not the same. Um, That's the best type of parenting for all sorts of outcomes, but also she's found in her research that it's the best way to promote grit is this wise parenting or authoritative parenting which is both high in support. It's highly supportive and also highly demanding. And that's the best combination. So it doesn't have to be either super strict and harsh or super loving but permissive and let them do whatever they want. You can be supportive yet demanding. That's what you want to try to do. So when your child doesn't give their best effort, you don't have to tell them you did the best, you're so good, you did an amazing job. You can point out, I could see that you didn't try your best. You can still do it in a loving way and ask for more. And at the same time, you don't have to be so harsh on them, and there doesn't have to be a lack of love. And she shares some stories of different parents, including the parents of NFL quarterback Steve Young, and how on the surface it might seem like they were very harsh and just demanding, but when you look a little deeper and see what they did with their kids, including Steve, who became a very successful NFL quarterback, that you see that they were also very supportive and sensitive and noticed him and what he was going through. Uh, And so we can see that this authoritative parenting, what she calls wise parenting, which is high on support and highly demanding, is the best way to parent your kids in a lot of ways, including how to improve their grit, this quality that she talks about in the book. And she does talk about grit throughout the book while at the same time at the end of the book saying that grit is not the only thing that matters. A lot of times when you read a book, it becomes very focused on a certain uh, characteristic or concept that they're talking about, and they can make it seem like that's the only thing that matters in life. And she makes it very clear that that's not the only thing that matters. Yes, grit can be very important in creating success in certain things, but it's not the only thing that matters. But it is an important quality, and I think... We would get a lot out of recognizing that if we find um, this quality of passion and perseverance, that combination, and we have this grit, it will help us in all areas of our life, including even our relationships, our love lives. Um, She talks about that a bit in the book, while at the same time recognizing that when we hear this word grit, it can make us think that no matter what, you have to persevere, no matter what, push through. So even if you're in a bad job, you have to push through. Or even if you're in a bad relationship, you could be in a very toxic relationship and you might have this feeling that, well, if I have grit, that means no matter what, I can't give up on it. But very often we have to be wise and recognize that giving up on the right things is actually the best thing we can do. Pushing through just to push through, even if we're suffering, even if it's a wrong thing, that's not actually the best thing for ourselves in our lives choosing what to give up on actually sometimes can be a good thing. So it is interesting when we hear grit and we think about perseverance, it can give us this idea that no matter what you're supposed to persevere, but sometimes we have to have the wisdom to recognize that something's actually hurtful to us. Or it's not uh, contributing towards our growth, it's damaging us in some way. So this book was, I'm glad I read it, I want to, to read it for a little while, the past few months, um, and that it talks about how we can also develop our grit, how we can parent for grit, as I mentioned, and become more focused on what is our passion. Even she talks about finding your passion, how often it's not this aha moment that we imagine a lot of times that you're just going to come across something and for the rest of your life, you're going to like it. Sometimes you develop your passion. So even with your kids, you want to give them opportunities to try different things and to see what really interests them and let them pick that interest. But it's not always the case, even as adults, that you're going to just find something and from then on, love it for the rest of your life. We have to sometimes develop that passion itself. And so there's great insights on that as well. But uh, that was Angela Duckworth's book, Grit, The Power of Passion and Perseverance. The book of the week for this week that I'll talk about on next Monday's show is The Body Keeps the Score, Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma by Bessel van der Kolk. All right, we've reached our first commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Hi. Thanks for calling.
0: Oh, uh, I actually had a question. If it's possible for you to talk about that with me,
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, I have a question about my um, education goals and like the path I'm going to. Uh-huh. I am thirty-one year old, and I am an immigrant from Iran. I moved here like I think nine years ago. Mm-hmm. And I started college when I was 25. And to this year, I decided to go to med school because I found it very fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if this is a good, um, you know, choice to make for me.
1: Okay, what makes you not and sure?
0: I have... Um, Five autoimmune diseases that I'm struggling with. You said five immune diseases? Autoimmune diseases. Oh,
1: autoimmune, uh uh-huh, uh-huh.
0: Yeah, and many doctors tell me that um, medical school might be a very challenging path for you. That might, like, you know, my body might not tolerate that kind of stress. Hmm. But I feel like this is what I really want to do and also my age is my concern, mm-hmm. and I'm very confused, and I was hoping if you can give me some advice, you think if I should push it through and, like, go for it, and or should I just give my body a break and, like, go through the easier path?
1: Mm. Well, it's hard for me to tell you because I don't know how limited you are and what the doctors are saying to you and how realistic that is as far as what you can or can't do so it makes it very difficult for me to say just push through I know I was just talking a a book about grit about perseverance and passion Um, and it seems like you're passionate about medicine and you want to persevere but I, I really don't know how realistic it is what you're saying to do of course there's an initial reaction to say yes go for it and and, and make it happen and do it and you can do it, but I really don't know. And so I don't want to tell you you can do it when I don't know the truth about how limited you will be based on the autoimmune diseases you're dealing with. So what are the doctors telling you?
0: Uh, the doctors uh, are really concerned. And whenever I go to like a stresses, so the, the, uh, uh, how can I say the trend of my illnesses was like every time I go through this some stresses, mm-hmm. uh, I develop a new autoimmune disease. But like these kind of disease, diseases, diseases the ones in our family, so mm. uh, it's kind of hard to say just for the stress or it can be like you know heritage. Yeah. But but it still. the only thing they say just uh, stress can just trigger more like diseases in you. And but like medical school I think it's something that I really wanna do. And uh, since like I think you are more familiar with the school here and like maybe you're closer to my age compared to the other doctor I see. I'm maybe you can help me with this decision. Mm-hmm. And
1: yeah, I, 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 also, I yes, go ahead, go ahead.
0: And also, like due to all these illnesses, I actually, um, I, uh, I have, I had the periods of depression in my life. Like mm-hmm. the last one that I went through was, I think, a, a year ago. When I had to just quit the school and a stay at home because due to the illnesses and the severe depression mm. that comes along with my uh, all the diseases I have,
1: mm. well, and I yeah, like, I mean I think I
0: know if I push through, I can do it. I can do it, but I'm not sure if that's healthy.
1: Well, yeah. that's yeah. There's a good that's a good point to make. Of can. And whether or not you should, you know, sometimes we can do something, but let's say you graduate, but your health is so deteriorated, you won't be able to practice medical school uh, medicine, or you won't be able to do much, then really, we have to look at what's the best thing for you. So that's what makes it hard for me to tell you do this or do that, which I rarely do anyway of saying exactly do this or do that. But especially in this case, I do have this feeling of wanting to tell you to pursue it to go to med school. But because I really don't know, and of course, medical school, just getting into medical school is a very stressful process. And then med school is a very stressful process. And on top of the schooling, the boards and exams you have to pass. And then if you want to do a specialization, residency is very, very stressful, especially usually time-wise, even though they've tried to make things better because before they were working people unfair hours or things that were unhealthy it's going to be very stressful. And so I don't know if the best thing for you to do is to go all the way to med school or if there's another path within medicine where you will still feel like you are fulfilling your passion in some way, but doing it in a way that will be more realistic for you. That's, that's the hard thing. Have you thought about other avenues within medicine as well?
0: I actually recently started thinking about, like, other, like, past, past year, yes. during past year, I started thinking about other past, uh, which can be, like, fulfilling for me. But I know if I don't go to middle school, some part of me will always feel like, you know, something that I could do, and I didn't do it because I was afraid. Yes. And i feel like a failure if i don't do that well, because i'm
1: because what go no go ahead
0: yeah because i'm not i'm not sure if that feeling isn't even healthy that like you know what i'm coming from like yeah. if i don't go i feel like a failure mm-hmm. if i go i might hurt myself and that created a really confusing situation sure
1: well that's why you're in such a dilemma you know anytime it's hard for us to make the decision. That's why it becomes difficult and becomes a dilemma because we're not sure. And right now for you, it's like either way, you feel like you might regret it or you might face that negativity. And yes, if you come, let's say, whatever decision you make, you have to make sure you come to terms with accepting that reality. Uh, If you decide not to go to medical school, I don't hear it as you doing it because you're afraid. I hear it because you recognize that it's going to be too risky for you And even when I hear you say, I can do it, um, it's like someone saying, I can finish this race, but at the end, my legs will have to be amputated. And maybe for them, it's going to be so meaningful, they do it. But then if they can never walk again, maybe it's not worth going and finishing that race. So I don't know how extreme it is for you when you mentioned the depression that came about recently also, Again, medical school will almost definitely be more stressful than what you've experienced in school so far. So that's what makes it hard for me to say just go for it. Now, you can go for it to see if you can do it and then pursue some other option. And I think if you decide not to pursue it, to me that doesn't sound like failure at all. It sounds like, unfortunately, it is a little unfair that you have these diseases you're dealing with that do limit you in some way realistically. Now, it doesn't mean limits you from everything or that you can't do it, but it does create some limitations. And you have to be realistic with those limitations as well. And I don't want to sound like the doctor saying you can't do it because I don't know. But I want you to make the decision not just based on, well, if I don't do it, I'm a failure, so I have to do it. Because it's much more complex than that
0: exactly and do you have any like suggestions like because i'm a very goal oriented person and as i said and i oh if i for example in a school if i don't get a grade that i put my mind and my heart to it it just it feel i feel like I'm a stupid person do you have any suggestion to overcome that kind of feeling
1: well yeah there's definitely a perfectionism in what you're describing and a very all-or-nothing way black and white that either you exactly. get a great I've been score yeah told hmm. that
0: i'm a black and white person
1: <laughs> yeah and that's that's i think why it's either you go to med school or you're a failure or you're saying either you get a very high a or you're stupid or you're you know worse than that and that's a big problem and that's coming from this place of self esteem and even in this book grit she talks about how people who have grit they always have hope and the idea is that even when you have a setback it doesn't mean you're stupid or dumb or a loser or a failure or any of those things. It means you have to work harder or you have to do something different. But you're taking things very much as uh, describing you and defining you. So if you get one bad test, that means somehow you're not good or you're bad or you're stupid or not smart or everything else, where it's it's not those things. It's probably you didn't study hard enough or maybe something else was going on. You were nervous during the test or who knows what, but you make it very much a blanket statement about you. And that black and white thinking, that perfectionism is going to make it very difficult. And to be honest, if you're going to go to med school with that mindset, med school is going to be very difficult and you're going to have lots of setbacks. You can't just expect to have constant and repeated successes. It's going to be very challenging. So, uh, this concept of grit might be good for you to look at, not just the idea of the perseverance part, but also the idea that. It's about hard work and you keep on working, but not to judge yourself if you have some kind of setback or obstacle or challenge that you face. I
0: say thank you so much. Sure. Uh,
1: and and I, I, it's a hard decision.
0: It a likewise,
1: I'm very happy yeah, I got to talk really, to you. Uh, yeah. But believing. I really think for me, you know, hearing you, and I can't, like I said, and uh, people call and they, I understand they want guidance. And I hope I guide them, but I can't usually tell them. You should go to med school or not go to med school. But I, for me, what's even more important is whatever decision you make, how you f- think and feel about that decision. Or first, what makes you make the decision as far as the thoughts and feelings that go into that and wherever you go from there. Because to me, whether or not you go to med school, and even that, I think because you've found med school and it's the hardest path or the most challenging and has the highest status maybe in this field that you're looking at in the medical field that you think if you don't do that then you're a failure or you're doing something bad and that's what i think is more concerning for me is those mindsets that you have about the decision you make and how that's going to challenge you and deep down feeling more okay with yourself just for being you not that you have to make a certain type of achievement or you have to do something to make yourself of value you already have value And you have to make the best decision based on your reality, which is that you do have, as you mentioned, five autoimmune diseases that do seem to limit you. And unfortunately, uh, when you get more stress, it can trigger even more diseases or more flare ups in what you already are dealing with. And that does put you at a, a realistic disadvantage that you have to be aware of. But it absolutely does not mean you can't be very successful, that you can't find work that is meaningful for you, and that you can't make a big impact in the world. So I by no means am trying to tell you that you should think small or don't think you can do great things. You can do great things, but your path might be in some ways affected by what you are dealing with, and we have to be aware of that. So there's lots of great things you can still do in the medical field that might not be going through med school but you can still have a huge impact, even advocating for people who are dealing with things that you're dealing with, for example. you know, So I don't want to tell you to think small, but I do want you to be aware of what you are realistically dealing with, which is your autoimmune diseases affect how much stress you can handle, and we have to be aware of that.
0: Yeah, I think I have to work on me, as you said. Yes, me just accepting my limitation of the conclusion I got from your advice but so thank you so much, it
1: was a pleasure talking pleasure to you. Pleasure talking to you too Oh good, good luck thank and even so I would consider so consider going to therapy to explore this a little deeper because again it's not just about what you decide to do I, I, you're talking about a lot of things with the black and white thinking and the perfectionism that I, that I think is worth looking at but thank you for calling and, and wish you the best in your decision and whatever you decide to do
0: Thank you so much. Have, Have a great time. Take care. Bye
1: bye. All right. Going into our last commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So, on Monday nights, I usually post on my Instagram page asking for suggestions for topics and got a bunch. Again, thank you for all of you that uh, made some suggestions. One I got was about dating and then another one was about what to do after a painful breakup to heal faster. What to do after a painful breakup to heal faster. So I thought um, this one struck me because also there's a part of healing faster Um, which I think is interesting, and people want to know what to do after a breakup, but even that idea of healing faster. Now, um, healing is good, obviously, but sometimes when people talk about healing faster, what they can sometimes mean is how can we, after a breakup, have less pain, not be so hurt. And that, in a way, implies that the goal is not to hurt, which in a lot of ways, sounds like it makes sense. But unfortunately, it takes away this experience of healing, which itself might be very meaningful. So if there was a way to break up or after a breakup or after any kind of um, event that can be painful to not feel pain, many people and most people would want that. They would choose that. I'm reminded of the movie, which I never saw the whole thing of, I think it's eternal sunshine of the spotless mind where after a breakup, Jim Carrey goes through some process of removing every memory of the person he broke up with, the whole relationship and everything about her to remove that pain. And um, this sometimes seems like a great thing to do when we're feeling so much pain following anything, but especially following a breakup. But what happens is if we try to heal in that way, if we think of healing as just the removal of pain, we lose the growth that can come about from the healing as well. So uh, the person who asked this question might not have implied that by saying heal faster, but it did remind me of this point that I think is very important to make, that when you are going through anything, any kind of pain, to not just think of removal of pain as the goal. And often this is what we do with other people. If our child is crying, we think the only thing we're supposed to do is remove the pain or make them stop crying. And a lot of times that even means invalidating the pain, saying that what's hurting them should not be hurtful. You're hurt that the kids at school made fun of you. Who cares what other people think? You can make new friends. We say other things. We think out of love and support, but really we're just trying to erase the pain because it hurts us to see them in pain, not realizing that we're invalidating their feelings and also taking away a lot of Uh, moments of actual potential growth that can be there. So if you're going through a breakup, um, it very often will hurt based on how long you've been with that person and how close you felt with them and also even how much potential you saw there. It can definitely affect how hurt you are. But we first want to make sure we don't think that it's negative or that it's weak to hurt. Sometimes people after a breakup will compare who's doing better after the breakup as some kind of sign of strength or even some kind of sign of victory. Oh, I saw her and she's still sad about the breakup, but he seems okay and he's already dating someone else. So in some way, we see him as the winner or as stronger. Um, And it doesn't always have to be the guy who does that, but sometimes actually men will try to avoid the feelings more than women and turn to things like drugs and alcohol or to finding someone new to replace that pain as a way of coping with the breakup. And so we can look at that and think, oh, he's so strong, but I never use that as an indication of something good or some kind of strength. Very often it can come from a weak place that we're afraid to face the pain. So after a breakup, it's okay and actually natural and sometimes very, very healthy to be sad, especially if it's a long relationship. If you've been with someone several years and you feel no pain from the breakup, To me, that's more a signal of something being wrong than if someone is sad after a breakup. So when we do break up, when a relationship does end, as I was just saying, it makes sense for it to hurt, and it's okay, and I think very good for us to feel that. Very often, we have to feel in order to heal. If you don't feel the pain, you won't be able to heal the pain. If you try to mask it or pretend like it's not there, it doesn't go away, and actually the Book of the Week for this week about The Body Keeps the Score, we know that even if we try to avoid our pain or pretend like it's not there, it stays with us, whether it's in our physical body or in our brain, our mind, it still stays with us. So we don't want to go away from that. We need to embrace and face the pain that comes with the breakup. And then also, very importantly, what this allows us to do is that we get to learn a lot from our breakups. We get to look at the relationship and what went right. But of course, if it didn't work out, there likely is a lot that went wrong. Things that we did that contributed to the relationship not going well. Things the partner did, our ex did. Things that might have been a mismatch between us and them. There's a lot for us to learn. Things that person did we like and things they didn't like. Things that we saw in them that we'd want to have in a partner and maybe some things we definitely wouldn't want and the next person that we date or someone we choose as a lifelong partner. And so if we just focus on the healing fast and trying to get away from the pain, we're going to lose all of this meaningful learning that can happen in that process. Because just like our body informs us when it's in pain, that something has gone wrong. Let's say you have a pain in your leg. It could be some kind of injury, like you took a blow to the leg, Or it could be because you're walking or exercising in a bad way. And you don't want to just take away that pain and say, okay, I can rub this on my muscle and I won't feel anything anymore. That can give you some relief, but you might miss an important message, which is that, you know, you're walking this way. And if you keep doing that, you're going to keep having this pain come back into your life. And emotionally, the same thing can happen. If we just try to get away from the pain, we won't learn the lessons from that relationship we were just in. And we might create the same problem in the next relationship, maybe even worse. And we might not realize there's a pattern in the pains that we're causing ourselves, the people that we're picking or the relationships we're creating or the ways we're reacting and responding in the relationship that are going to continue to hurt us if we don't learn those lessons. So we want to be patient with ourselves and allow ourselves to heal and not just think that the only goal is to stop crying or to stop being sad or to stop being hurt or to date again yes eventually we have those things in mind but we don't want to push ourselves you can't force healing or you can't push it forward too much and drag yourself ahead you have to allow for the process to play out just like if you break your leg yes you want to do everything you can to help it heal As efficiently as possible, but you don't want to force it to heal or pretend like you're okay. Start walking and running on it before it is fully healed just because you think that it's bad to be in pain or it's bad to have that type of an experience or it's healthier to be uh, walking around. So we want to make sure we don't do that. Now, at the same time, I'm not trying to imply that you should keep yourself sad because sometimes after a breakup, people can go into a victim mode where it's not just about healing and learning from the pain, but staying sad. And there could be things you get from staying sad. So you want to pay attention to that as well, not to judge yourself, but to be aware of what you do and how you respond to things. Am I keeping myself sad for some reason? Or even sometimes we can realize, I recognize that I'm more sad about this than I anticipated. What else can be going on? Sometimes we're sad about previous breakups so that we didn't heal. So now this one might make us feel even more. Or it could be that we actually are projecting something from our past onto that partner. They remind us so much of our father or our mother or someone. And this breakup feels even more painful because of that. So we do want to be aware of what we're feeling and how intensely we're feeling things. And sometimes it might even surprise us. And it's not about judging that and saying, well, I'm too sad about this or I'm still sad and I shouldn't be sad. But it's coming from a space of curiosity and trying to understand why am I feeling this much pain? Why does it still hurt? I've gone through other breakups. Why does this one hurt more? Was it that they reminded me of someone? Was it that I was even more hopeful about this one? Was it that I opened myself up too quickly and I got so attached, maybe too soon? But we want to learn those lessons too and recognize if it hurts more than we anticipated, what might be going on? And so we don't want to stay in that victim space. And we also don't want to cope in unhealthy ways. After a breakup, especially if we're trying to get rid of the pain or if the pain feels unbearable, we might move towards unhealthy coping mechanisms. Of course, things like drugs and alcohol... commonly used or eating in an unhealthy way is very common you see lots of times in movies someone goes through a breakup and they have a tub of ice cream or chocolates or other bad unhealthy food for them and that's what people do and sometimes we do that we go to what we call comfort foods because they do give a little comfort a feeling of love so it's understandable we're not saying you're not going to do any of that but we don't want to give in too much to that because it's not going to help if you can exercise that's great Um, What can also be very good is talking to friends or going to therapy. If you're already in therapy, continue going. Or if you'd like to go, if it was a painful enough breakup, great. But talking to friends can be great. And you want to talk to friends who help you feel better. Now, by help you feel better, I don't mean they say exactly what you want to hear every single time. Sometimes... Friends think they should just say what we want to hear. So if you say, yeah, she was a jerk or he was a jerk, they say, yeah, they were a jerk. And they just repeat what you say and echo it to make you feel better. You, of course, want people who are emotionally sensitive, who can allow you to feel your feelings. If you're sad, they won't tell you to stop crying or you shouldn't be sad about this or don't cry for him or don't cry for her. They recognize you're going through an emotional experience and That's okay, it's not about the other person, it's about you and the pain that you're going through. And so they give you that space, but we also want someone who in that sensitive, loving way can challenge us or help us see what happened. Because when you're in a relationship and even afterwards, we're very often blinded to a lot of what happened, what we did, what we assumed, what we didn't see in that other person that maybe was more obvious because we had our blinders on for different reasons. And it can be very helpful for a friend to help point those things out to us. So we want to be open to their feedback and can even ask for that. That if they can, let let you know what maybe you're missing or not realizing about what happened. And friends can be great for that. Or family members, depending on who you have in your life. In my own life, um, there have been friends and family members I've gone to. One of them uh, is my cousin, Pega. I love her very, very much. And she's a great friend, kind of like a sister to me, even though she's my cousin, but she's someone I really feel good talking to about lots of different things, including the pain of a breakup because she is loving and caring, but also gives me good feedback and and advice that helps me. So you want to find the people that help you because sometimes people think that, well, if I have close friends, I have to tell all of them everything. And that's not always the case. You might have some friends that don't make you feel good, that don't respond in good ways to breakups or certain things and so you'll find there's some friends you'll talk about work with and they can help some friends that are good about dating someone who's good after a breakup and some that might be good for all of them but not everyone is good good to be good for all types of conversations and you have to protect yourself in that way recognize that you know what when i talk to this friend the way she responds doesn't make me feel better It kind of puts me in a worse place or makes me feel worse about myself and it doesn't even seem helpful like she points out things. So maybe it's not good for me to talk to her about my dating or breakups because it's just going to make me feel worse. So it's very good to talk to friends but be wise about who you choose to tell what to and get what type of support from. Not all friends are going to be helpful for all types of conversations. That's very important. But to wrap up, just because I have to wrap up the show for tonight, it's to remember that when we're talking about healing, we want to recognize that healing can take time. And yes, we want to be aware of how long it's taking to heal, but we don't want to set a strict timeline that I have to be over this by a certain date because healing doesn't always go in that way. And if it's a very painful breakup and you still feel like you need help, going to therapy can be a great way to help, not just to heal, to make that pain go away, but to help you learn even more from what you've gone through. And friends can provide that as well, but. With a therapist, you might be able to do it on a different or deeper level. So thank you for that post. I think it was from Reza or that suggestion. And thank you for everyone else who suggested them. I do keep them to have them in mind for future shows. So thank you again to all of those um, suggestions that were made and to everyone who made those suggestions. And thank you to Amir here in the studio and the caller we had earlier. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. Have a wonderful night. 94-7